Hey everyone, welcome to the House Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jamie here. I'm so glad you decided to join us for today's broadcast. Every time we come together as a church, people encounter God. So my prayer is that you too would experience His presence and hear His voice for yourself. Please enjoy today's message. favor now. We're going we're gonna to pray. We're going to enter into something this morning that I'm excited about. I, I feel like it's a long time coming. It, I, I haven't spoke on this subject in a while, but I was provoked recently. And, uh, and I just, I feel like we're supposed to enter in in a new way into worship in a con- our congregation. Now, our congregation is already known for outrageous worship. We always have been, okay? Uh, we, we used to in the very, very beginning, kind of known for the, the volume, first of all. That's why we issue you earplugs when you walk in, right? The earplugs are so that you don't have to bother Chad in the back asking him to turn it down. We have chose throughout our process of worship to be as extravagant as we can, as, as boisterous as we can, as loud and obnoxious, frankly, as we can. Why? Because it knocks the religion out of you. It knocks the religion out of you. I, I don't mind a little bit of, I'm offended at the volume, I'm offended at the dancers, I'm offended at the person who's doing whatever that bothers me because it's distracting or whatever. I'm okay with all of that because I know deep down that it begins to eat at and work at the inside of you because the core reality of worship is that no matter what anybody else is doing, it's just an audience of one. It's you and God. Your heart is what he is seeing this morning. Your heart is what he's seeing in worship. And it needs to be authentic and real and all that. Are you alive this morning? Okay, so we have just, from the very beginning, our church has never apologized for it. We're always just just in your face. We're going to worship. Okay? There is a maturity that begins to take place in worship, though, as, as a congregation, as a community, does this together repetitively. We, we learn how to yield to each other's strengths. We learn how to identify the, the giftedness of one and the, the, the giftedness of another and where weaknesses are able to be covered by each other's strengths. That there's something so beautiful as the body begins and learns how to be in his presence together in unity with him. There's something so powerful. It's transformational, actually. I, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about worship this morning. I'm going to walk us through some principles that, I, that I, I recognize from the book of Revelation. First four chapters. We're going to take a look at it. There's some principles that, when activated, transform the way that you worship. It will make your encounter a living encounter. It will cause the stuff that is in the way to suddenly be exposed. It will cause you to be real before God. You have to adjust when you come into his presence. How many know that God is not adjusting to us? He requires us to adjust to him. (laughs) In heaven, our Lord is worshiped in perfection, frankly. In heaven, 
All things are in order, and that order is created by his glory, by his dominion, by a community of people who have willfully chosen to lay down their lives to honor the king. That's what heaven is like. It's a choice. Each one there has chosen to bow the knee to Jesus. Each one. Each one there has acknowledged that the Lord is king. In fact, it's, it's kind of the ticket to ride. It's kind of the access agreement, right? If you're going to be in his presence forevermore, you've got to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. And with your will, choose to submit your life to him. Are you alive this morning? That, and because of that, because that is the way that heaven is organized, that is the way that, that, that it, it works is that in that place of absolute presence, the people and the community that gathers around the throne are in submission to the throne, but we're in perfect alignment with his majesty. When when Jesus taught us to pray, and he said, pray then in this way, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, He set the priority of worship and the acknowledgement of who he is above every other need. Above confession, above your tangible needs. Oh Lord, I need this, please help. Above your war with the devil. Above every other aspect of spiritual life, we are needing to at first primarily acknowledge and come into alignment with the holiness of our God. That in that acknowledgement, all things become possible because we pray, Lord, be glorified. Hallowed be your name, set apart. Next stanza. All things on earth as they are in heaven. In other words, it is worship that aligns the human heart to walk in the will of God. If you want to know God's will, it starts primarily with the acknowledgement of his holiness and worshiping him. It starts. Your calling primarily as a son, a daughter of God, is to walk in alignment with your heavenly father. And the only way that you're going to become aligned is when you worship. And so every time we come to church, let me tell you, the best thing that I can do for us is, frankly, is to let the worship team go for another hour. It, it's, to, it's to get out of the way, right? There's value in teaching, but the main thing is us coming into alignment with who he is. Are you alive this morning? Come on. Look at your neighbor and go, I think he's talking to you. Just elbow him and be like, I think it's good that you're here today. I was in prayer recently, and uh, I'm, I'm going to share this, and then we'll, we'll pray and jump into the Word. But I, I was in prayer recently, and I had this encounter with the Lord where um, I began to see this. Jesus was standing next to me. I don't know how you, your prayer life works, but for me, it's a visual experience. I, I, um, it's, not, it's not always tangible with my natural eyes. It's in the eyes of my heart. When I'm worshiping, when I'm praying, I, it's not a blank screen for me. I see. 
and in, in, in encountering and experiencing him in vivid color, frankly. But Jesus was standing there and he showed me this generation. When I say this generation, I mean everyone that's alive. I don't mean just like 20-year-olds to you know, the younger generation or older generation. I mean this generation. And the generation, it, they, were like, uh, they were like molecules or atoms smashing into each other and each one had its own agenda. And, and the, the generation of people were all running and boom, hitting each other and they're attempting to accomplish things and they were pushing to have their way, you know, their, their way of things. And, they, and then they were, they were running after decisions and they were forcing their way and this generation was just this swirl of chaos. And, and it wasn't just individuals, it was organizations, it was churches, it was all of it. It was just this mess. And I was thinking to myself, wow, Lord, you got yourself into this one. You're, how are you going to get out, you know? <laughs> Those are your kids. You remember that, right? Those are your ones. And, and the, the Lord said this to me. And this, I'm going to attempt to read this real quick, okay? But he, he said this. He said, son, my will must be declared to this generation. My will must be declared. A word, a voice needs to be spoken to confront, to bring alignment to all of it. My will must be declared to this generation. The people were attempting to go to and fro to accomplish things, and none of them were in tune with heaven's chorus. It was so, it, it, there was this song of the Lord over this generation, but the activity on earth was not in alignment with the song of heaven. It was like what God was wanting wasn't taking place on earth as it is in heaven. And the song of the Lord was playing, but no one was in tune with it. And the Lord was inviting them into divine order like a symphony. And when they would come into order, there would be this beauty released. This blessing would come. Their point of view would go from thinking about what they need to do and their assignment and their responsibility. Their point of view would shift from that to being focused on heaven and coming into alignment with God's song. Their motion was a commotion. Chaos was taking place. And the Lord was singing this ancient song, this song that every human being knows, that every one of them have written on their hearts, the tune of creation. The Lord is singing it over us and as we come into tune with his voice, then everything begins to align. Blessing comes. It was this amazing and beautiful experience. I was reading the book of Revelation this week and I was in the first chapters of it and, and I have this experience in the back of my head, that kind of picture in the back of my head and I'm reading through it and I realize, oh, the, the Lord, that there are some principles here, there's some things here that, that have to be acknowledged, that, that have to, presuppositions, like you won't make the right decision without the right equation. 
unless you put some certain things into place in your life, like there will always be that sort of fighting against greater purpose. And the invitation this morning, I really believe, I'm gonna read through the scripture and I'm gonna attempt just to highlight the different things, but I really believe that the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to individual people today. Like the Lord is gonna cause something to pop in your own heart. And so I'll try to be as clever as I can and explain things and whatever. We're not looking for my voice this morning. You're looking for where is the Holy Spirit highlighting, speaking to, putting his finger on my own life. Because I really believe that the, the, the sense of chaos or out of orderness that you experience in your life, that that doesn't have to be like that. That even though life can be raging around you, you can be at perfect peace because you are in the walls of heaven. So would you put a hand on your own heart this morning? Holy Father, my prayer this morning, Father, is that you would encounter each one. And God, I'll do the best that I can, but Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would breathe on your words You cause our eyes to be open, our hearts to be awakened. Lord, that we would come into perfect alignment with your will and your ways. Pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, Revelation chapter one. This is gonna be fun. Revelation one. If I can get to it. There we go, Revelation 1, verses 1 through 3. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the name of the book. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and he communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and everything that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things which are written, for the time is near. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his bondservants the things that must soon take place. Everyone say, the things that must soon take place. Okay? The future. That's what it is, the future. There's a leaning in and an understanding of what was going to happen. And so he sent his angel to John, who labels himself a bondservant. It's important to know, this is John the Apostle. This is John, the one who laid his head on the Lord's breast. This is the youngest of the apostles. More than likely, he knew Jesus his whole life because they were neighbors. They lived in the town next door. You have relation, you have friendship, you have connection, and John labels himself, I'm just a bondservant. God says he's an apostle, but John relates to humans to people, he goes, I'm just his servant. That's it. He sent his servant his bond, to his bondservant, John, the angel, who testified to the word of God, the testimony of Jesus, and all that he saw. Listen, that phrase right there, I, I want you to see this. I want you to camp out on it. Who testified to 
the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus and all that he saw. Here's John's qualifications. John testified he was one who said, this is what God has said. He was testifying, he was a witness of what God had said. Has anybody in here ever heard the Lord speak to them? Do you think if I gave you the microphone right now, you could repeat for us what you felt God say to you? Yes, you could testify according to God's word. It's John's qualification. Second thing, he testified to the word of God and he testified to the testimony of Jesus Christ. In other words, John saw firsthand what Jesus went through. He went, walked through his life, he experienced his ministry, he experienced his death, and he experienced his resurrection. And John was one who bore witness to those things. What Jesus had done in his life, John would share. Has anybody in here ever talked about what Jesus has done in their life? And to all that he saw. John saw a lot of things. There was a lot of present tense story that took place in John's life. Lots of stuff that he saw. And John would bear witness to it. He would talk about it with people. John talked about what God said. He talked about what he saw Jesus do. And he talked about his living testimony, the things that he saw with his own eyes. These are the qualifications of John the Apostle. And the reason why God sent the angel to John was because John was faithful in stewarding the words previously, and now John will be faithful in stewarding the words post. If you want to steward greater things, you got to take care of the first things. If you want God to give you more, then you should really be obedient to the first stuff he asked you about. If you want to bring increase, if you want increase in your life, you want greater revelation of things, then you're going to need to walk in the stuff that you previously learned about. Amen. I love this little phrase there because here John is. He's been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. John's story is amazing, by the way. John is, the history tells us that he was boiled alive in oil, but it couldn't kill him. They couldn't kill him. They tried to martyr him, but they couldn't kill him. And so when they saw they couldn't kill him, instead they went ahead and they exiled him to an island by himself. He got shot out to this island and left alone. We're like, we can't kill you, but we can't get you to shut up either, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to exile you. Right? Because you can't talk to people from there. Little did they know, right? I love this because... John was simply stewarding what was in his hands. He wasn't trying to do something great for God. John was simply stewarding what God had given him to do. And when it came time for the next thing, God made sure that John was not going to miss out. I think sometimes... We get our heads filled with agendas, the running to and fro, the trying to accomplish great things. And in trying to accomplish great things, it's very easy to lose sight of what was actually given to us to steward. 
All you have to do is follow what God has said to you. All you have to do is talk about what Jesus has actually done in your life. All you have to do is bear witness, give testimony for what you have seen. Please don't be burdened by the greatness of calling and purpose as if you have to run around and accomplish great things. What you need to do is simply be obedient to what God has given you to steward. This is helpful for me because it is so easy to get caught up in watching what other people are doing. Have you ever seen someone else do something great for God and then you feel like you're missing out? Or somehow you feel lesser than? Nobody? Am I talking to the right crowd this morning? I can't tell. All right, are you out there? Chad, maybe you can turn the lights up a little bit. I can't see people's faces. I want to see if they're sleeping. Here we go. You, you cannot, don't compare yourself to other people. When you compare yourself to other people, other people's journeys, when you look at the great things that God's doing with other people, it is so easy to begin to feel like you are lesser than, or it is easy to feel like, oh, because you also feel like you're supposed to be doing those things. And so when you see someone else doing it, suddenly you feel the burden of it on you. And the weight of that, you're like, oh, I need to be doing that stuff. Or you begin to feel jealous because other opportunities are being given to somebody or anybody alive this morning. Has this ever happened to you? Okay. John was exiled to Patmos, and he had access to no one. John was not able to do any great exploits for Jesus because he was alone on an island. He had been cut off from his main job, which was just simply to bear witness of Jesus. He had no access to even do anything great for God. And the Lord saw fit to make sure he was not left behind. He sent an angel to go and talk to John and show him the revelation of Jesus so that John wouldn't feel like a failure. He got to see with his own eyes all the Lord had accomplished in the earth and John wasn't getting to be a part of it. Are you alive this morning? My friends, have you ever felt like a failure? If you've ever felt like a failure, if you've ever felt lesser than, if you've ever felt, if you're worried that you're missing it, you're not missing it. You're not going to miss it. This is what I love about our Lord is that he will not let you miss it. He's not going to let you miss it. Oh, I'm missing my calling, God. No, he's not going to let you miss it. If he comes to you and says, hey, you need to do X, Y, Z, then do X, Y, Z. Steward the word. But if it's just other people running to and fro, don't get yourself in a tizzy about it. Amen? Amen. Verse 9, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation, in the kingdom, and perseverance. Okay, so what was John experiencing? John was experiencing the tribulation. He was experiencing God's kingdom, and he was experiencing having to persevere. All these things are in Jesus. 
This is the revelation of Jesus in all these things, the tribulation, perseverance, and the kingdom, they're all in Jesus. I'm not gonna push too hard on this one. It's okay, it's not the... I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I love this. I was called to Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So we already covered that. He's exiled. And so I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Tyria, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Write in a book these things. Look at this phrase. I love this. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. John's about to be shown things to come. Where are things to come? How do we come to know things in the future? How do we come to know what's coming down the pipeline? John chapter 16, Jesus says, it will be the Holy Spirit that will unlock these things to you. The Holy Spirit will show you what is to come. Yeah? John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And God was going to show him things to come. In other words, John chose to align himself with what was necessary to receive what God wanted to bring. This is a word to somebody because you're waiting on God to do something and he's waiting on you to align yourself. You're waiting on God to do something because he said he was going to do something. You're like, God said he was going to talk to me about this thing. Awesome. Now, then you're going to go ahead and need to be in the spirit and you're going to go ahead and need to align your life so that your days are not your own. They're the Lord's. And when you do that, you come into alignment with heaven and revelation can come. Some of you are waiting on God to do something because he promised and he's waiting on you to align yourself with his promise. There's so much more available to us and we're just like sitting back waiting for something to happen. That's not how it works. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. There is a principle of alignment. We come into alignment with the Lord, not vice versa. Our job, I'm working too hard up here. Here we go. Our job is to come into alignment with the Lord. It's our job to shift our perspective to align with heaven's perspective. If you want to see the future, then you're going to have to change the way you see. If you want to know God's will, then you're going to have to change your perspective on something. In the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's the one who discloses the future. The Lord's Day, it is understood that there is a divine order of things and John was changing his order to match God's order and he entered into the Spirit so that he could see what is to come. Why? Because God told him, I want to talk to you about what's to come. So God told you to do something, so what's your job in this? Your job then is to prepare, it is to align, it is to do the work that needs to be done in order for that thing to come to pass. 
So God told me that I was going to be a doctor. Awesome. Are you in school? Because if you're not in school, you're being disobedient. Well, God told me he was going to make me a doctor. No, God told you this is your calling, and now it's your job to align with his purposes. God told me I'm going to be a governor. God told me I'm going to be a senator. God told me that I'm going to be someplace, a public office. And Awesome. Did you go to school? Are you a lawyer? Have you prepared yourself? Have you done the work of alignment so that you could fulfill the assignment? No, no, no. God's going to mage, wave the magic wand and just make me it. I don't think that's how it works. I'm going to be a successful business person. I'm going to have millions of dollars. Why? Because God promised me prosperity. My friend, let's repeat the lesson. Here we go. How many classes have you taken on entrepreneurship? How many people have you served that have started business? How much do you actually know about starting your own business? Have you figured out and understand the principles of a business? Or are you just hoping that God's going to drop a product on you and then people in the world are going to just magically serve you? Okay. Happy Thanksgiving. Here we go. Let's move on. Verse 12. I turned to see the voice who was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw the seven gold lampstands. In the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, Jesus. He was clothed with a robe reaching to his feet. Girded across his chest was a golden sash. His head was fair, white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze. This guy has been through something, you think? His feet were made to glow like a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell like a dead man. That's... He placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid, for I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death in Hades, therefore write these things which you have seen. So he's reiterating the assignment. Here's the mystery of the seven stars. Here's the mystery of the golden lampstands. And he explains it to him. Can I just say, just real quick, the kinder, gentler Jesus, little baby Jesus from your films, the kinder, gentler Jesus, the one who clearly is so like going with the flow while he is in the world, obeying the Father, accomplishing the assignment. His assignment was to live in such a way that discipled 12 people and then to die on the cross, to be resurrected, to create a new covenant. That was the assignment. Post-assignment, he has been given the name above every name. Post-assignment, he has been given a throne that is of surpasses every other throne. When you see Jesus, you're not going to be like, hey, Jesus, high five. No, the kinder, gentler Jesus, the one that you imagine is not 
where he's at right now. See, Jesus is enthroned in such a way that his authority is bringing the world into order with the Father's will. And his eyes burn like fire because of the passion for accomplishing the Father's will. His authority and scepter is to dash nations. It is to force into submission kind of wonder sometimes when we're worshiping Jesus if we're allowing the fear of the Lord to grip our hearts or we're still kind of like high-fiving. Do you understand that the fire in his eyes is about accomplishing the Father's will like nothing will stand in his way. He will not allow any rebellion against the Father's will. None. This is why the name of Jesus is so powerful. When you exercise the name of Jesus here on earth, you're calling upon the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. You're calling upon the one to force into submission something that says, I will not bow the knee to the Lord. More on that another time. Chapter 4, verse 1. Next two chapters, two and three, are the letters to the churches. We're not going to hit them today. I just want to hit the principle that's in four, and we'll land the plane. Chapter four, verse one. After these things, I looked, and behold, there was a door standing open in heaven. Woohoo! The first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come on up here. I want to show you what may take place after these things. The one sitting on the throne was he. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and sardis in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald. Around the throne, there were 24 other thrones. Upon the thrones, there were 24 elders sitting. They were clothed in white garments, golden crowns on their head. Out from the throne were coming flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lampstands of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center around the throne, there were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, and the second like a calf, and the third like the face of a man, and the fourth like an eagle. The four living creatures, each one of them had six wings, all full of eyes all around them. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy! That word, holy, 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 they're not repeating. It's not a chorus. It's the emphasis of a language that doesn't have exclamation points. It is, this is being said so emphatically that you cannot deny its reality. The living creatures that see everything are looking at the throne and screaming, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come, who is past, present, future. You cannot see the future from your perspective currently. 
You cannot make a decision right now that will positively affect your future unless you elevate your perspective. Unless you elevate your perspective, unless you do something to change how you are seeing it, you will not see God's will for a situation. Some kind of casually look at the future and they go, oh yeah, you can see X, Y, and Z is going to happen and this is what's going to take place. From earthly perspective, all you see is the consequences for decisions. From heaven's perspective, you see the alignment with God brings perfect order in anything is possible. The only way that you can see the future accurately, the only way that you can determine what's going to happen in your marriage, the only way that you're going to determine what's going to happen in your career with those kids of yours, you love the Lord, you want to see God's will done in your life, do you want to walk in obedience? Then you're going to have to elevate how you see things. You're going to have to change your perspective. You're going to have to come up here because there's a door that's been opened and there's an invitation from the Lord for each one of us to encounter him in a fresh way. He's saying, come up here. I want to show you some things. You're going to need to be in the spirit to come up there. You're going to have to yield your will to the Holy Spirit in order to encounter the heavenly reality. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to take your hand off the driver's wheel. Come up here. There's a door open, an opportunity, and the Lord's inviting you into it to see, to perceive. The future is able to be seen from a heavenly perspective. It's very difficult to look at what is going on in the earth realm, take in all the information and news, and come up with a clear picture of what God is doing. I'm reminding you of these things pre-election. I'm reminding you of these things and saying to our culture, our church, guys, don't be shaken by what's going on in the world. Get a higher perspective. You have to. The evening news is not going to tell you what's going on in Israel. It's not. The, the perspectives of earthly whatever is not going to tell you what's going on. You're not going to get an accurate perspective until you come up here. So the question begs, how do we come up here? The Holy Spirit will disclose to you what is to come. However, you're going to need to ascend up out of your current circumstance to see clearly. Psalms 100 tells us how we see clearly. How do you ascend? How do you come into the Lord's presence? Shout joyfully to the Lord. Psalms 100 verse 1. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. That's the created order right there. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Therefore, enter his gate with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks and bless his name for the Lord is good. And his loving kindness is everlasting. And his faithfulness to all generations. Coming into the presence of God requires you to go through the gate of thanksgiving. And requires you to enter into the court with praise. Okay, just hear me out. 
You're so close. Don't tune out now. In order to enter the gate of thanksgiving, in order to place a request upon the Lord, you have to acknowledge what he's done previously. In order to come into the gate where you make petitions of the Lord, where you do business, in order to come into his gate, you have to first acknowledge what he's already done through thanksgiving. In other words, your mind has to change from I have lack to understanding what God's done and what he can do. You're positioned incorrectly. You're not even going to ask the right thing. You think you need X, Y, Z, but that's not even what you need. And if you would enter with thanksgiving, you'd start to see what you already possess and you would realize what you actually need and then you can place your petition. Praise forces you to acknowledge who God is. All-powerful, all-sufficient, has no lack. Praise forces you to magnify the qualities of God that make him God. And when you praise, when you align your heart with the reality of who God is, when your heart is filled with thanksgiving for what God has done, that takes the veils off of the way you are seeing and gives you access to come up here. So if you're still in a place of complaint, I'm telling you, you're, you're stuck at the door. You're stuck at the door. No, 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 my God knows my needs. He knows my complaint. He knows, yeah, he knows your voice and we can hear it from the hallway. You have access to the throne of grace for your time of need. That is why you need to start acknowledging what God has done previously, all the testimonies of his goodness. And if you can't do that, my friend, you are stinking the place up. You have to change your stinking thinking in order to see what God wants to do. It's you that has to change. I know we want God to stoop, to come down and to do everything for us. He is saying, I want to do everything for you. I want to do so much more than you can possibly hope, imagine, pray for, any of it, all of it. I want to do so much for you. So would you please come through thanksgiving and praise so that we can actually have a real conversation. You have to change your perspective if you want to see and hear from the Lord. If your ears are stopped up by the evening news, you will not intercede correctly. If you are offended by a political party or by some choice that somebody made someplace, your ears are stopped up and you're not hearing correctly. How can you have God's heart for someone and curse them at the same time? Literally, you will gain. Hear this. This is like the, this is the secret. It's the secret. Shh, don't tell anybody. Literally, you will gain supernatural perspective of the future as you worship the Lord. The most in-tune people with God's will are the ones that recklessly abandon themselves to worship the Lord. The ones that we accuse and we go, oh, they're so, they're not any earthly good. They're so heavenly minded, they're not any earthly good. No, actually, they might be the only ones that are hearing correctly. Verse nine, last one, and we'll land the plane. You guys good? You okay? All right, here we go. Verse nine. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. 
what happens? The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever. And they take their crowns and cast them before the throne, saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of you, they exist and were created. Again, back to the created order. When we acknowledge God, it aligns us with the created order. When we acknowledge God and we worship him, it forces the room to come into the created order. Okay, heaven is the perfect version of God's will being done. Are you alive? You get that? In heaven, nobody's objecting to God. In heaven, when glory and honor and thanks is given to the Lord, the governors, those who sit on thrones, you're not going to be floating around for eternity on a cloud. There will be cities, there will be places. There's a new heaven and a new earth, and you're all going to have jobs. I'm sorry, you're going to have jobs. We're not just floating around etherically with harps on, you know, it's not how it works. No, there's a role for you. There's stuff you're going to be doing. It's going to be amazing. Forever and ever, there's going to be stuff. It's going to be wonderful in every version, in every way. It's going to be more real than anything you've ever experienced before. That's what's waiting for us. And when the creatures acknowledge the holiness of God, the governors of heaven, the ones in charge, 24 elders sitting on thrones, empowered with authority, fall down and acknowledge the created order, take off their crowns, their symbols of authority, and they submit their symbol of authority to the Lord who paid for it all. That's what happens in heaven. That's what happens in the most real place in the perfect order. That's what happens in the spiritual realm. If it's true in heaven, what do you think it's like here on earth? Okay? Don't listen to the whole sermon and then miss the last point. When we give glory to the Lord, when we honor him, when we give thanks to him, we set the spiritual atmosphere into the created order. Why do you think you feel peace when you come into worship? Why, why, why do you think the walls come down? Why do you think joy fills your heart? What, where is that coming from? That's not coming from nice songs. When, when we worship the Lord, the spiritual atmosphere shifts into the divine order of things. It sets things in order. When, when we acknowledge the Christ and we vertically go, you are Lord, you are worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. When we do that thing, it shifts the spiritual atmosphere to come into perfect order on earth as it is in heaven. I think this is why the atmosphere of worship becomes so dynamic for ministry because the stuff that's out of order suddenly becomes able to come into order. So in worship, Spiritual atmosphere gets taken out of the way and suddenly cancer shows up like, boop, boop. Yeah, that needs to be taken care of. Let's go ahead and see that healed. Oh, depression? Yeah, you think that's in order? It's not in order. There's something off. No condemnation, but when we worship and you get yourself out of yourself and you acknowledge the Lord, the divine order begins to take place in your emotions. 
It begins to set things in order. So many times I have been in worship when the Lord will remind me of someone I'm needing to apologize to or I'm needing to go make right with somebody because I did something, they didn't even know about it, but the Holy Spirit reminds me of that thing. What is that? That is coming into divine order. And all of a sudden, the stuff that's out of order, oh, I need to go take care of that. Has this ever happened to you? Unfortunately, the opposite can also happen because it's in that place, that rebellion and the choice, the will, I will not worship him, also rears its ugly head. See, when we set things in order, the spirit is, is causing life, and hearts are yielding, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. In that atmosphere, the divine order of things begins to deal with the stuff that's out of order, and when it comes to a heart that is unwilling to yield, it will manifest. I believe that the Lord is inviting the house church to be a place, a location of actual space where people gain heaven's perspective. I think that's what this is about. I think this is a set apart space where we come in and we worship and you start to hear and see things in the right way. Not because we're teaching it correctly, but because God begins to interact with your heart. People facing difficult decisions, they're in worship, and suddenly it becomes clear to them. Suddenly the path forward is obvious where it wasn't before. I believe that as a community, we have been given apostolic authority to send, to commission. When we're in the Spirit on the Lord's day, there is a voice that's able to set people apart for the ministry that God's called them to. And so when you're in this context and the Holy Spirit starts prompting you about somebody, it's the perfect environment to prophesy and to speak into their lives. In this environment, is the, it's where God's authority gets expressed to commission people into ministry. I've said this so many times in the past. It's been a long time since I've said it, though, but let me say it to you. Please don't just be went, be sent. And then I went into missions. Don't went. Be sent. Oh, God's calling me to business. Awesome. Be sent. But I've got to acknowledge then that there's a voice of God in the midst of the congregation and humble myself, and that means it's not just my thing anymore, doesn't it? Yes, that's exactly what it means. It means that in humility we submit to one another reverence for Christ, but it also means that there's an authority released to us as a body that allows us to do things we never could have done. Don't just went, be sent. Earthly and demonic authority is not able to stand in the way of heaven's government when it's taking root in the world. That's why being sent is so important. As we worship Jesus, he discloses the future to us. He causes our paths to come into alignment with the Father's purposes. And in the place of encountering the living God, we find purpose and clarity and wisdom so that our lives can be lived out bearing eternal fruit. 
God wants your life to be a living tabernacle, a house of his presence. So when you go out in the world and you touch people's lives, they go, who are you? Are you from the moon, another planet? How in the world are you carrying such peace in the midst of all this torment? And when you minister to people, the life of heaven touches their lives and they get transformed. Friends, your life is meant to be a worship song to the Lord. So much can change with that simple acknowledgement. Learning how to worship and enthrone the Lord might be the most practical thing that I can help you do. Learning how to enthrone the Lord in your home, learning how to enthrone the Lord over your business, over your life, over your marriage, worshiping him, bringing divine order into things is such a gift. You can choose this. All you gotta do is primarily put your eyes on him. Acknowledge his greatness. Acknowledge his worthiness. Are you alive? Just stand to your feet today. I was going to sing you a song this morning, but I don't think that's going to happen. We're going to do that next service, though, so if you want to come back and hear me hack at a guitar, you can. Would you put a hand on your own heart? You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You're worthy. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Lord, we acknowledge and declare your lordship in our lives. Jesus, be enthroned in this season. Be enthroned over our families, be enthroned in our work, be enthroned in our relationships. In every aspect, Jesus, be enthroned. God, I bless your people today. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you and grant you peace. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord today? Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. It's our hope that God touched your life in a truly meaningful way. And if you were impacted, please let us know by writing a review or share it with friends. If you'd like more information on The House Church, we would love to connect you with our community. Please visit us at ithehouse.org for more information. We'll see you next week.